0: Hey, welcome to episode 32 of Mike's Moment Of. And for this moment, my guest is Joan Andrea Hutchinson, writer, actor, broadcaster, she does social work and so much more. Now this is a culturally packed, dense, rich episode. If you've been enjoying the podcast, I want to ask you just one little tiny favor. Share an episode with a friend with a friend you think might enjoy what we're talking about you know just one episode with one friend all right cool so i see you on the other side of this music and this intro i'm michael sean harris and you're listening to mike's moment of a weekly podcast in which i along with my guests share our various interests in moments of inspiration truth life technology culture and more i hope you're entertained and informed and that you feel inspired to join me again and again in my moments of Oh, you know, well welcome this, to, to this episode of Mike's Moment of and today tonight <laughs> we're talking with Joan Andrea Hutchinson. Um, who ha- who has many other other names. Um, that bumpy head gal, is that right? Yes yeah, and um, one of them. And the and 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 didn't uh, Louise Bellico, the liquor girl. Is it girl The,
1: the little H- what? The Hutchinson child. <laughs> the Lico Hutchinson child.
0: Right. So well. All right. So today, I kind of wanted to talk about because you have books on this. You have books on Jamaican proverbs. Um, so I wanted to get into some of those, the meanings, and if you know where some of them come from, and you know how they how they used, that kind of stuff. But also just to talk about your journey as well, um, your journey in 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 all the things that you do in in television production, acting, everything, writing. You know,
1: cause you're you doing off. Yeah, man, a whole different <laughs> things. You know, but yes, I, I tell yeah. everything. I tell everybody that the underpinning is I consider myself a communicator. So whether it is I'm communicating in the classroom teaching students, whether it is I'm communicating from the stage, whether I'm communicating from radio, it's all about being an expert communicator you know, whether it is I'm going to sit down with a little boy on the street corner, or I'm talking to 5,000 people, it all hinges on being a good communicator. Whether I'm ever chatting at Patois, whether I'm ever chatting at English, it's all about being a communicator. Because no matter what fabulous message you have, if you're not communicate the message, you might as well you're it up and going to your bathroom, you want.
0: <laughs> true, 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 true. And, but you know, the communication thing is, a, is especially now, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big deal. Even you know, the various situations that I'm in, uh, sometimes people don't know, you know, how they're communicating messages to people all the time, whether it's in their body language or or, or their reactions to things that happen or, or what they say, you know, um, and it, just to be aware of where the people around you are and, and, and what your presence is communicates to them, I guess, is is probably the the best word to say.
1: Yeah, because when I look, for example, at what's happening now, coronavirus has forced a lot of people into technology, people who were not into technology before. And something that I want to say to a lot of people is, remember that video is a close-up medium. So we've always been told that the stage is larger than life. So when you get on stage, you act, and you make it really large and really big. But video brings you right up close and personal to your audience. So you no longer have to go overboard with the expressions and you open your eyes wide and you I'm looking at a lot of people doing video and the, the camera is right up close up in your face, but you're doing the overdone thing with the, It's too much, it's too much, but people don't realize.
0: Yes, yes. So, and sometimes way? you see that, yeah, so sometimes you see that with, with people who are stage actors and who are going to film and just haven't quite made the transition or going to video and haven't quite made uh, the transition the video is close
1: up, medium people need just to remember that basic
0: yeah 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 so all right so t- tell me some of these i mean we will sprinkle them in but um give me give me a couple of the of the um the proverbs i've been compiling a list <laughs> <laughs> but so like, and, and so far I haven't so much I have I have about 138 and I'm sure there's more yeah, okay,
1: you know, yeah, but, but, and, you know there, I mean you go to different parts of the country you hear different proverbs but what I say to people is that every single society has proverbs every language group every cultural group has proverbs because it's part of the way in which we make sense of our environment make sense of our reality and you have proverbs which translate from one you know, country, one environment, and the other. I say, for example, the, the English proverb, a drowning man will clutch at a straw. There's a Jamaican equivalent. There are many Jamaican equivalents, but one Jamaican equivalent is, before me tumble down, me whole maca.
0: <laughs>
1: yes, <laughs> it's, yes, yes, it's yes, same yes. same thing. You know, um, you know the, 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 there's a, a proverb in French that says, tous les goûts sont dans la nature. All tastes exist in nature. In other words, every o a him cabouche. Yes. So every every language group has has proverbs. Now, in terms of Jamaican proverbs, you know, I just absolutely am in love with Jamaican proverbs. My mother, and this is where a lot of my cultural influence comes from, you know, my mother used to use proverbs to discipline me, right? My mother was a beater. She used okay. proverbs to discipline me. You know, the mother who just look at you, one look and you fall in line. But my mother used proverbs, and sometimes she says some things that it like it burns you, it hurt you. You, you, you don't know how to respond. Yet. She used a proverbs like it's so heavy, it's so deep, you're kind of like you're stunned, you don't know what to you know. So, she used a lot of proverbs in terms of disciplining us. So, for example, she'd use a proverb like mm, You know, this one fire, there most of stealing, think a cool breeze. So, yes. you're, you're carrying on really your little outer this, and you know, you think you're doing, you know, you know, say, so I do something bad enough, you know, you know say, so I do something bad kind of thing. And what she's doing, she's threatening you. Continue, man. Continue. Continue. Because something is around the corner coming for you. So when she says, fire their most most teal in tinker-cone breeze, I mean, I would just fall in line because I knew something was going to happen. Something was, some kind of punishment was coming. Fire their most mus- yes, mousse yeah. in tinker-cone breeze. I absolutely love that. There's a proverb that says, rub wood foot block in finding yard. Now, how do we break that down? Now, you know, you have a picnic and you know, you're know you trying to give them some advice, they're not paying a mind. Or some young people in your organization, that you're trying to give them some counsel because of things you know, they're not paying a mind and they them about their business. Because as soon as them go out there and then get themselves into some kind of trouble, they run straight back home to mommy and to daddy. So the proverb is, ram goat foot if he find he yard. Because that's mm-hmm. really, really what happens. You know, my mother also used to use this one. She said, yes, man, showman said, oh, steer further, see better. Now, you remember the old time picture show? You used to go to an old time picture show. They used to have one like a man who his responsibility was to crank up the show ring. So he's riding the thing round and round and round. That is a showman, right? The problem is showman said, who oh, steer further, see better. Because when you go to the show, the picture show, the film, the movie theater, if you sit too close up front, right under the screen you're not seeing the thing so well but if you back off a little you see it a little better when you sit a little further back so the proverb says showman showman is a man who, who who reel up the crack of the, the, the film read showman say who oh, stay further see better basically you're so close to a situation sometimes you have a little boyfriend you have a little girlfriend or you, you start keep somebody bad company but you're so close to it you can't see what the danger is Sometimes your parents, the people older than you are able to say, you know, that the bad company not good for Michael, you know, or that the bad company not good for Joan or that person they're hanging out with or that situation that they're going to. But you so close, you can't see it. You can't see it. But, you know, it's like a, a, a couple get married and yeah, it broke apart, mash up in a little while and there are people who could have said, yeah, aside, aside, mm-hmm. because they're further away they can see with a clearer lens. So the proper yeah. and say, who oh, steer further See better, you know. So this is for me, proverbs are not just entertainment. For a lot of people, people think, oh, for, for, for just entertainment, ha ha ha, Jamaican culture. Mm-mm. There's a lot of serious, serious, solid teaching. You know, but I think my favorite proverb of all times is one that said, donkey, kobe, run past donkey, but turn up a crossroads." Have you ever heard that one?
0: Say it again. No, man, that don't that sound unfamiliar.
1: Okay, donkey, kobe, run past donkey, but turn up a crossroads. No donkey cubby, that is the baby donkey or the big adult donkey.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Hey, donkey cubby is the big... That's the baby, the
0: club. That's a a baby, yeah, donkey.
1: The baby So you have so of the young people them coming to your organization, for example, if they have 10 degrees, oh, oh, they step past the big donkey because they know, them know everything, they want to step past. But when they get to a point where there's a problem, across roads, they cannot... Kind of taunted, as we say in Jamaica, because they don't have the benefit of experience to be able to deal with a problem when it arises. So the problem mm-hmm. is, the, the, the proverb is, donkey cubby run past donkey, but turn kind of a crossroads. When they get to a crossroads, they don't know which way to turn. Donkey Kobe run past donkey, but turn kind of a crossroads. So I love to use the proverbs to teach all the time. Everybody yeah. knows this one. How did I see mumma women come out so long? You must know that one day.
0: I've heard that one. Yes, I, ma'am.
1: So. I did ask, oh, my mother used that on me. Oh, Miss Emma. Oh, Miss Emma, blessed memory. She used Proverbs to discipline me. So, <laughs> you know, again, I'm flipping up about something. I'm doing something wrong and I'm, you know, thinking I know more than her about something. And she would just say, mm-hmm. I did ask, him, mama, when my car out so long, and she said, you are grow, you will know. In other words, right. you get older. Because, you know, even when I was in when I was at St. Andrew High School, I used to criticize the sixth form as how them this and them that, and them this and them that, because you know, they were always trying to discipline the lower school. And when you mm. got to sixth form yourself, you understood you know, It's like you're in a particular organization, you criticize the boss, but when you get into a position of leadership, you realize that you yourself have to behave in a particular kind of way. So, you know, how did I in Muma when come out so long? And she said, it's all right, yeah, grew, you will know. Mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. are just a few the proverbs i just love the proverbs trust
0: me yes 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 um <laughs> but there's some of them some of them that aren't as clear i mean some of these are clear but some of them some of them you you, you have to really think or, or try and figure out figure figure them
1: out yeah but um, always shades and levels of meaning and you know just just a little bit about me i mean like. A lot of people, because of the work that I do, you know, I overhear people talking. I say, yeah, man, she didn't go to school so time, so I don't have a with my cousin, and she didn't grow next door to my granny. Poor me, born and grow at Kingston and St. Andrew, go to St. Andrew High School. So a lot of my work has to do with serious research. I'm right. about rural people. who wish, me born and grow a country. Me grudge, everybody who born and grow a country. So mm-hmm. a lot of, like even the Proverbs, a lot of them I learned from my mother, but when I was doing my first CD and my second CD of Jamaican Proverbs, I remember I went to a golden age home and sat down with some people who were like in their 80s and their 90s. And this is how I did a lot of my research. They taught ah. the proverbs, they explained them to me, they talked about the different levels that yeah. So some of it is research.
0: Yes, 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 yes. Wow. Wow. I, 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 I'm I'm gonna pick up one at random from the, from my long list. Hopefully, it's not one you said already. Um <laughs> Bellyful, yeah, I draw down.
1: That's right. Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> Come on. You see, when you're hungry, you know you're very alert because you have to go look it. When you're belly full now, you just, uh, you just relax. Th- there are, as I said, you know, there are different layers of meaning. So there's a literal meaning because when you're belly full, you kind of just want to sleep and you want to yes. relax. No Enough, you don't <laughs> look it. Enough, you don't have look it so hard, right? You know? yeah. and, and, and that for me links to another one which says, um, man have raw meat, him look fire. Yes. Do you know that one?
0: Yes, yes, yes. yes. Man, man have, have raw meat, him seek fire. Yeah, yes. him
1: seek fire. I mean, you, for example, you have a car, and I don't have a car. And I said to you, Michael, give me a, a, a ride at the end of the work, you know, end of the work, you come, you have your run on and look for me. No, it's yeah. me supposed to look for you because man have raw meat. Me have a problem. Me have raw meat, I need to cook. I must be yes. putting down the fire, not the fire running down the raw meat. So man have raw meat, him look fire. You know, when I look yeah. sometimes at, at, at people in society who are, you know, very, very, you know, well-dressed and they have all the trappings, but they have so many inner demons wrestling with all the time. And there's a proverb that says, dog a sweat, but long here covering. Dog a sweat, but long here covering. Because if a dog, you, may I use sweat, you see it on our skin, right? Dog mm-hmm. a sweat, you're not seeing it because a dog up hair, especially if it's a tender, hairy dog. So the lung here, Refers to things like the trappings and the trimmings of life. So you have a nice wife or a nice husband, a nice job, you have a nice car, you live in a nice neighborhood, blah, blah, blah. But underneath you have all kinds of things dealing with in your soul. Your soul is tormented. So wow. bad happening to you. You go out there, you're kidding your teeth, and you want like all is, as Jamaicans say, you want like all is peace and safety. Yeah. Dog, a yeah. sweat, but long hair covering.
0: And that's like that's like you can't judge a book by its cover, you can't you don't know what's going on inside.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, What about what about hand or packet cover?
1: Ah, absolutely. Now that speaks to, you know, I mean, I can't just everyday is a one way thing that every day may I give you, may I give you, may I give you. Right. What about the reciprocity? What are you gonna give back to me? So it's not you really giving people in the expectation that they are gonna give back to you, but it's like a one-way thing, like not just it's like a one-way thing. Yeah, um, I was referring to Khalil Gibran just yesterday. I'm very, very big on Khalil Gibran, and Gibran, Gibran, as you know, is a, is a 18th century either 16th or 18th century Lebanese philosopher, mm-hmm. also an artist. And he spoke about giving. He says, "You give but little when you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give." You know, so you always have to be giving because life is like. Listen, to me. Life is part of this. We're part of this chain of giving and receiving. You know, I mean, I always say to people, say the universe stores acts of kindness in its DNA, and one day you draw down on it. You know, so we all have to be constantly giving, whether or not you think people deserving. whether you just give, you just give. You know.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, all right. We'll come back to some more, some more of the the the, the proverbs. I want to hear about when you when you started on stage. And and these experiences, with, even with um with Louis Bennett and stuff, what the stuff that you were doing?
1: Yeah, well, how did stage start for me? I was in primary school. I was attending um Providence, New Providence Primary School. You know, and, I mean, I, I have to give you this one in ten seconds because it's it's really you know. I went to school at Providence Primary School. It was you know where Providence um, Methodist Church is? Uh. I, yes, no. man, right 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 before you Oh, eat. yes, 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 I'm yes. yes so on the right-hand side, if you're going up, right? Yes, and yes. It started as a little church school in a, in a, in a thing, in a, a little church annex and thing, and, of course, the educator was very, very good, and so the school population grew and grew and grew and grew, grew. till it over... I mean, it just outgrew all its, its, its classroom spaces. And so for a big part of my primary school life, we did classes in the cemetery, it the Seminary Philadelphia P. We did classes sitting on tombstones. The teachers, they're teaching in the cemetery. You know, we played on tombstones. I mean, we never knew, we never, never thought at any point that it was, you know, inappropriate to be jumping on people, tomb That's what we did as kids. That's where we had classes for my grade four and grade five. Half of the time we were down in the cemetery, that's where we had classes because there was no space. And then when I was in grade six, the ministry built New Providence, which is beside Chest Hospital, and we made the trip. We moved over. To New Providence. So when I was actually at New Providence is when I actually started writing, that would, that would have been like 10, 11, you know, wow. but yeah, my first poem was not in Jamaican um, language at all. My first poem was a poem about Sir Alexander Bustamante, because I think it was at about that time that he died, that would have been early 70s. And I don't remember the year, but I think the died at that point. And, you know, state funeral and people lining up in the streets and they were showing lots of videos about him. And I thought, this man is so tall. And I remember the first poem was, oh, he was a leader, a chief, not just MEO chief, but the chief. Because remember, he was called the chief. So that yeah. was my first poem. And then. When I, I think, I, yes, I, at the same time, I was exposed to Louise Bennett's work. The first poem that I was exposed to was one called Sarah Chice, where the girl got on to go vote, and she didn't know which one to vote for, so she just go inside of the voting booth, and she just closed her eye and make a devil of her ex. That is how she votes. She didn't know who she votes for. You know? but, but I was just fascinated with her use of language and the way she described people, and, you know, duckfoot uh, I'm or not me, son. And duckfoot, I'm a knock me, son, Cars me to get out rude. Duckfoot, I'm a knock me, son. Okay, right. You know, I mean, it's just like, I'm like, whoa, this woman is for real. So yeah, I, it
0: I, just paints the picture immediately. Like, you know,
1: duckfoot, I'm a, who calls people duckfoot except in Jamaica? The duckfoot, yeah. I mean, I just love Jamaica language, you know. So that was the first time I read Miss Lou. And then when I got into high school, I had a teacher. I've never been able to find her, and I've always wanted to find her. Her name was Paulette Seaton. Paulette Seaton was a tall, fair-skinned teacher who wore long capes to school. This is the high school. You know, she's a high school teacher. She would okay. wear like pants and like a cape, an ankle-length cape. She was just like over-dramatic and... Uh, but she encouraged our love of writing. So in literature class, you know, we'd write little poems and she would say, yes, do this, do that, correct this. I, I listen, I credit Paul Seaton with a lot of what I have become as a writer because she okay. encouraged us. She, you know, she, wow, she was amazing, you know. Of okay. course, my mother, my mother was, she was a writer. She was, I mean, she she wrote a book which has never been published. And I'm going to publish it. I'm going to publish it at some point, trust me, you know but I got a lot of the creative juices from my mother. She took us to pantomime. She took us to plays. She took us to the movies. She sang songs. She told us stories. So that's where a lot of that creative energy came from, you know? And then I, I started writing in high school. I wrote for the, the school magazine, always writing poems and funny letters and funny jokes and, you know, my friends remember me as a class clown. I I don't remember that, but so them <laughs> say. Me don't remember that, but so them <laughs> say. <laughs> yeah, so that's when the writing started, and then I started entering the JCDC festival. You know, I was doing getting a lot of medals for my work in Jamaican language. I Also did some you know work in English as well. Got some medals and and stuff for it at JCDC. But the writing started in earnest when I left Jamaica. Because, you know, when you're in Jamaica, right, you don't have Jamaica flagging in your house and you don't have red green and gold nothing and you have no nothing, no Jamaican nothing in your house because you are in Jamaica, right?
0: Yes.
1: When you live in foreign parts now, it's like you have to have those things in your house because you need to connect with Jamaica. Well, writing in Jamaican language, writing in Patois, became my connection to Jamaica. I was living in Holland. I went to broadcasting school in Holland. You know, I mean, I was a broadcaster at age 18. I was to date. I am still the youngest broadcaster who read major television news on JBC at age 18. And I tell you. Wonderful. I was doing a a, a Oliver Samuel's Aston Cook and myself went to country. I think it was Clarendon or St. Catherine. Went to like perform at some some event, like some day or some barbecue. They're just getting into the whole theater thing. I was work, I had started working at JBC, just, just started working as a production assistant. Bobby Gisays, I don't know if you knew Bobby Gisays.
0: I didn't know him, but I, but I remember seeing him on TV. Right. Yeah, so I knew him that way.
1: Right. Yeah. Bobby Gisays was my drama teacher at St. Andrew High School, and he must have seen something in me. And so as soon as I left high school, well, I did um, lower six at St. Andrew High School, and St. Andrew High School expelled me. I love to tell people this story. They put me out in lower six. And I went to Exed Community College and did my A-levels at Exed alongside people like Cliff Hughes and um, Patrick Anderson, those guys were in my, and, and Philip Paulwell. We all were in class together at, at Exed. And interestingly, the same St. Andrew High School, my lovely, wonderful school that put me out in lower school, lower six. In a year after that, I came in as their graduation speaker, being back as graduation speaker, get distinguished old girl and all those. So, you know, they stole that. They build not refuse it, right? Anyway. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I had left um, Exed, um Community College, had like, a part time job at JBC, myself and Rosemont Brown. And then I went to JBC. Bobby, you says, come work as a production assistant, just AT. Starting work." So me, Oliver, and Aston Cook went to this team, The evening we we're coming back in, at a, I, I mean, it was a little after seven o'clock. And I said, I want to pass by the office to pick up a book. So I went inside. I think Oliver, Oliver must have dropped us off, and Aston was with me. I mean, Aston used to par, you know. And I went inside to pick up this book, and they said to me, um, the person who's supposed to read the news has not turned up. That time it was 7.30 news. The person who's supposed to read the news has not turned up. I said, yes, and oh, you have to read the news. They said, what do you mean? I have to, I, no, I can't. And they protesting, because I've never read news. Granted, I had done television stuff. When I was in high school, they had a thing called EBS, that's Educational Broadcasting Services. That is now what, that is, what is now PBCJ. That was okay. EBS, Education Broadcasting. So, and I remember Marie Cunningham-Clark. She, I remember she was a person who called us. I think she taught English part-time at St. Andrew High School. And she pulled in people like myself and Cecile Boris and a couple of other people. And that's how we went to EBS. And so we started doing programs. So I was, doing, I was particip- participating in television programs, Spanish programs, English programs, etc. When I was in high school. So it wasn't completely new to me. Anyway, so we were there at JBC though. And... <laughs> Them said to me, I must read the news. I said, No, but I, 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 no, I can't. I, 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 and they called Barbecue who was my boss. And he just went into teacher student mode with me. And he says, Get into the studio and read the news. But I get into the studio. I didn't have a choice. I remember I had on like a t shirt and jeans. Now, there's a story. I took off Aston Cook's shirt. that and I were very tight. I took off Aston Cook's shirt. I remember it was like a, what do you call army green shirt and I spun it backwards, so it had a kind of stand-up collar across the front of my neck I still put on my t-shirt my hair was all over the place it was cream but it was all over the place I went into the bathroom and I used lotion and water and slipped my hair back because gel think gel didn't invent yet or we never really know gel in Jamaica but I used water and lotion and slipped my hair back I borrowed the earrings from the security guard and borrowed the security guard's lipstick I put on lipstick and I put on rouge. I put on some all over my eyelid. And I got into the studio. Good evening, I'm Joan Andre Hutchinson and this is news. And I read the news. Apparently it went well. So Monday morning I got flowers. The director of news at the time was Concy Walters. um, The Concy Walters Cancer Hospice at at, um, St. Joseph's is named after him. So he was the director of news. I got flowers from him. Gloria Latherman was the the general manager at the time, I got flowers from her. I was getting, I got like about three or four bouquets on Monday morning. Everybody telling me, "You are so good." And then at that point, I went into regular rotation for news. So I was the youngest newsreader. So I was reading alongside Pat Lazarus, Faye Ellington, Diana Wright, Ruth Hoshing, Tony Patel, Uriel Aldridge, Dennis Hall. Yeah, that was that was my time. That was my time. Wow.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. yeah, man. I love that story. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah, trust me, man. Like Aston's shirt. Aston's shirt is what did it. Oh, wow.
0: Well, we miss him, though. We miss yeah. Aston. A lot. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. All
0: right. I have another, I have another, um, another proverb. Magakou abulmuma. Oh,
1: yes. Oh, yes. Maga ko abul abulmuma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maga ko abul abulmuma. I mean... Sometimes it is um, you see uh, some there's who's there's an artist that sings a song about Mama uh, Um old Murderer I cry burada, tha, 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 Mama. It's like a, some big murderer and when his mother goes down to the courthouse he's like bawling like a baby because you find a yeah. man in you know, us, no matter how big and bold and bad then he's afraid of their mother. And sometimes the mother is one windy little rat, but they afraid of their mother right? And sometimes, you know, I'm not knocking men, surely, because men are amazing, but sometimes when you see what women go through, sometimes you see a little woman, and she'll hold on three, four jobs, and she'll look after four, five, and you say, how does she do it? How does she do it? And that leads me to another proverb, very, you know, similar in meaning. And it says, "Bull horn not too heavy for bullhead. Bull horn not too heavy bull head in other words if this is your lot in life you have five pick me, other persons really look on and say oh my god how do you do that that's what you have that's your lot you're going to make it work so the horn cannot be too heavy for your head you're going to make it work bull horn can't too heavy for bull head so the proverbs are here to teach us always here to teach us
0: what about this one mea yuna plant gungo a
1: Ah child cha 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 cha. thank you please ah oh yes oh yes oh yes you know I mean you may think for example well you know we were born in the same community or you know we're in the same family etc but we're so different you know what I mean yeah we're not we're not plant bungaline you we're not know, plant bungaline you know, you know, and you know what I love is the through ability of Jamaicans you know when they map also welcome you're in a plant bungaline I mean that's just enough to cut you down a proverb that I, two proverbs that I love. there's so many proverbs I love, right? Tiger wharf in nyamin pikni is a fever puss. Tiger wharf in nyamin pikni is a fever puss. That really speaks to our ability to justify anything we want to justify. So you was doing something before and I was causing. oh, you know, Michael was doing that and that was so inappropriate. All of a sudden me I do the same thing and me can just no well you see the reason I'm doing it is because so and so I can justify it. So tiger wolf and yummy pick me in safe fever puss.
0: Yes. What about what about um where it's skinny it cut?
1: <laughs> oh, oh my god, who says that? <laughs> who anywhere imaga he pop? <laughs> where it, where it's skinny, it <laughs> we curious, I'm just, I'm just no saying man, the
0: version
1: I know. No, Master, anyway, Magadong, it pops. Anyway, Magadong, it pops. So, we want to have like, a little party to celebrate you. You have know, just put out your new work and ding ding thing. and boy, oh, in the morning they're running. You know, everybody said, No, man, come, let's get together and have like, a little party and tea. Anywhere imaga pop. So if it's one loaf of bread and one tin of sardine, we make some sardine sandwich. We make some lemon we're we having a grand time. Anywhere the money imaga dongi pop. Anywhere the food thing it pop. There's a proverb again that I oh I just love my proverbs. If you go at thumper foot dance, you it dance thumper foot. If you go at foot dance, you dance thumper foot. Okay, so what is thumper foot? I know is foot. A stump of a foot. So okay. if you are an amputee or maybe you have pulled po- you had poliomyelitis and you know one leg is shorter than the other. So you kinda walk, as I to walk and drop short, one foot longer than the other, right? So if you go to a tompa foot dance and everybody's dancing, you know, long and short, long and short, foot, you can't go to people and dance come on, like say you come from you, you know, you come from the Ravers posse or, or you is Bogler, or you are you big dancer? If you go a tompa foot dance, you dance tompa foot. In other words, when is when in Rome, do as the Do as a Roman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go a foot dance, you dance tompa foot. You know. Ah, and, yes, and I yes, think, yes. you know, just in terms of hard work, I, I love to use. Proverbs to talk about hard work. You know, jakas back trung, they overload him hamper. You know that one person in the, in, the, in the study group who everybody make all the work drop down upon that one smuddy, right? The mm. more work you do, as I said, the, the reward for hard work is more work. So the more work you do, everybody say, I'm I to mean, have to kill myself because Michael, Michael will do the work, man. Michael will make it happen. I yeah, just said to Michael, Michael. so half of the people in the group nobody do the no work because Michael will do their part. To that. So the proverb is jakas back trung, they overload him, hamper.
0: You see that a lot. Would, that
1: Michael will probably say, The jack horse's back is strong. <laughs> the jack horse.
0: <laughs> <laughs> leave me alone. Leave me. Leave me. Um, all right. Well, where cockroach have a one game friend? Where cockroach have what? A will cockroach, will cockroach have a one game friend?
1: I, thank you. you you can't listen you can't give what you don't have mm-hmm. you cannot give what you don't have so what cockroach have an eating game friend right of course there are other cockroach proverbs. you know cockroach, cockroach you no know, business is not foul fight everybody knows that yeah but the yeah. thing is you know and the the is a kind of corollary proverb to what cockroach having game friend is you can't take big water by boil cold skin. You can't take big water but boil cow skin. Now, if you cook cow skin, you will know that cow skin is something that is tough, that take lots of water and lots of fire to cook because you boil it, it's still tough. Just keep on adding water to the pot. Empty. Now, if you don't have your own water and you have to go off inside, oh, Mr. Michael, beg you want keg of water, you know, and you want a little bit of water, you Start to boil the cow skin, it evaporates out, you can go back go beg more water. So, in other words, if you have something to do that's going to take a lot of resources, you need to have your own resources. No more beg, beg. You can have be a begging to do that. So, the problem is beg water can boil cow skin.
0: Yeah, brilliant. Makes sense. Makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, we're coming back to more more proverbs. Uh, now we're gonna go back to your life. Mm-hmm. This is your life. Alright, so um so after, well, I mean there's no after because a lot of these things were, were happening concurrently. Um when did you decide to to publish or to record and 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 stuff?
1: Well when, when? I was I was overseas, I was living in Holland and living in Spain and living in Tunisia and my connection to home was you know just writing, writing, writing. When I came home um, after a couple of years, I remember Carolyn Cooper. There was a there was a lady called oh god something Karen Gentles. She was doing a poetry reading over in in, in um, Port Royal at the old jail. What was the old jail? And I think it was Mervyn Morris. It was Muta Baruka. It was Eddie Ball. And she invited me. And there was a poet from another country. I can't remember. But she invited me. You know, she oh I think she was she knew Carolyn Cooper. And Karen said, oh, you know, this girl, Jonah, she's back in her work, is pretty good, blah, blah, give her a little chance. You know, they a boss and the show. So I went over to the old jail in, in Port Royal and we did this, this, this um, thing. And Michael Record wrote, and um, oh man, when I look at some of those re- reviews now, you know, when he wrote about the fact that, you know, the barman put down his glasses and stopped paying attention to what he was doing just to watch and listen and just drink. Because you remember, I was new to the space. I'd been away for a little while, i had not been writing and performing except for you know, years ago in festivals. So nobody knew me at that point. because I was out the space. So they, th- I mean, apparently I did very, very well. So a couple of weeks later, they had another poetry reading, reading at, at Port Royal and they invited me to headline that. So it was myself and I think a, a writer from Barbados. So I was performing very heavily. Now I knew I wanted to write my first book, was just performing, I was getting a lot of jobs performing. And then because I was a television host before I left Jamaica, I was invited to host um this program called Tuesday Forum. I think the regular host, you know, one of one of the beacons of broadcasting, Elaine Witt, amazing human being, amazing broadcaster.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: I think Elaine was unavailable. So they asked me at the time I was working at uh K Power 106 as a news editor. And they asked me to host this program. It was about study skills. Ah, so I'm working at, at Power 106. I was doing a program called CXC Power, thanks to Leakim Samaj. It was his concept, his brainchild. You know, the, the concept was, look, you know, all students have to sit the same CXC exam, CSEC. You may have a good math teacher in one school and a weak math teacher in another school. You may have a school where there has not been a geography teacher for the last six months, etc. But they all have to sit the same exam. So Leah came came up with this idea, let us do this program where we level the playing field by bringing in all the examiners for CXC, all the markers, all the master teachers, and so we did classes on radio, right? It was every Tuesday night. So CXC powers, so because of this now, you know, we had psychologists to talk about conquering your fear, everything, studies, skills, everything, so dbc at the time invited me now to host this program on tuesday forum about study skills for young people and teaching them how to you know take charge of their life and blah 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 so i hosted this program so remember i've been living overseas when i left jamaica i left here with a jerry curl in my hair when i moved to holland i couldn't find a black hairdresser at the time to do anything with my hair so i cut it all off like a little boy boy and started growing it back natural hair so while I'm overseas, I was twisting, twisting. wasn't in fashion in Jamaica. You couldn't wear, twist up here style, no wear, right? So I was twisting my hair. I was putting in a Nubian knot that we call China bomb. And just, you know, for the people listening, the difference between Nubian knots and Bantu knots, Nubian knots, the Nubians are smaller people, right? And the Bantu people are, are larger. So the Nubian knots are small. If you think of the goat called the Nubian goat, a very small, you know, thin kind of goat, slim. Okay, so... I put my hair in the Nubian knots, and I went to host this television program. Right before the program, I was joking around with the psychologists and the school principals and everybody and saying, hmm, I wonder if anybody's going to have a problem with my my hair. But to me, it was a big joke because I didn't have a problem with my hair. I mean, yeah. And so I did the program, but by the end of the program, the station received, I think, 36 phone calls from people who were so angry. They were so angry because... I had confronted them with an image of themselves that they didn't like because for me to be speaking the way I speak, I'm not supposed to look like that. So people called and they, take that Dr. Rasta looking gala off the TV, take off that butu looking gala off the TV. That was the level of vitriol, right? What? Yes, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. The next day people were calling the station and cursing the station, don't ever put her back on TV. It's a disgrace. I, I tell you, I was working at uh, Power 106 at the time and... A woman tracked me down at Power 106. She called me and I answered the phone. And she said, you know, I used to hear you reading news on radio and I was very impressed with you as a news reader. Now I have seen you on television. She said, you are a damn disgrace to women. Those were her exact words. She said, you are a damn disgrace to women. She said, if my maid, no, problem, she said, maid and don't say helper, you know, the headspace, eh? She said, if my maid came to work looking like you, I would have to send her back home. She said, you are like dirt. Don't you ever come back on my TV like this again. And she called the phone it was at the same time that louis farrakhan visited jamaica so everybody was all up in you know black power issues and blackness issues so it was a big thing you know it was all over so sometimes i look back at all the newspaper articles people wrote so many articles to the newspaper at the time because suddenly the people who were criticizing me were now pushed back because people were saying okay so what's the problem what is your problem the woman is black she's beautiful she has her hair her hair is natural she's intelligent she's articulate what is the problem So suddenly, a lot of these people had pushed up their head. People were slapping them back down. So they were not speaking out so much. They were speaking in quiet little corners. So like, Ah. call me from like the hairdresser and say, you know, that there's some women here and they're discussing you and they're saying, oh, you're such a butto. How could you go on TV looking like that? But they weren't going to come out in public, major public and say these things. They were now going to say these things in smaller quarters, you know, because it confronted people with an image. Listen, because of because of um, or the fact that I'm articulate in English and you know, speak a little here and there a couple of other smatterings of languages too. I remember being in, uh, I think it was mall pharmacy to be exact. And a woman, I was tendering a check or doing something, asking some question and a lady came to me, um, excuse me, you're a junior Andrea Hutchinson? I said, yes. <laughs> um, you, you don't look like what I expect because I was reading news on radio at the time. You don't look like what I expect. Um, so I said, okay, what did you expect? Um, I don't know you're feeling away, but I thought you were brown with long hair and slim. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> My dear, I'm sorry to disappoint you that I am none of the above. Because you see, unfortunately, Michael, there's this perception in people's heads in Jamaica. There's perception between language use and perceived levels of intelligence. And so if you are a patwa chatter, a Jamaican Creole speaker, people assume so you're nano sense, and you're unintelligent, and you're dunce. But mm-hmm. if you round up your mouth and speak, he's And so we become a society which is more caught up with form than with the substance.
0: Absolutely. And so yeah, all
1: like man who they church every week and he prayed, Brother Jonas. And every week, Brother Jonas pray, thank you, Father Jesus, for all the wonderful mercies that you're giving. And thank you, Father Jesus. But this week, the Governor General or the Prime Minister, they're going to make a special appearance at your church service. And suddenly, Brother Jonas is no longer good enough to pray. You have to find somebody who's going to round up the loud and speak his spoke and say, dear Jesus. And so we have these issues, these sociocultural issues, which are bigger than just language issues. It's the way, it's it's the attitude we have to our language. It's the attitude we have to our natural hair. It's the attitude we have to our bodies. It's the attitude we have to certain certain types of jobs. And we seriously need to look at these things.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Wow. It's not
1: just the performance. So when I perform, you know... um, I think it was Yasus Afarai who coined the word edutainment because I never heard anybody use it before. I'm so big up Yasus. But what I do is I, I do edutainment where I educate my audiences at the same time I entertain. You know, because that becomes the, the proverbial spoonful of sugar which makes the medicine go down. So you're giving messages, but at the same time, it's so sugar-coated that people are laughing and then think that they're enjoying It's funny, you know. So... I consider myself a descriptive writer rather than a prescriptive writer. I'm not here telling people how to live their life. I'm not pointing fingers that do this, do that, do this. Sir. But then when I write about funny situations that people do, which is the same in the same vein of a Louise Bennett, when Miss Ling writes something where people are laughing, and yeah, yeah, it's funny. But when you listen, when you listen deeply, and when you read deeply, you realize that there's some serious issues being dealt with.
0: So you're holding up a mirror basically.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Um, you you, you skimmed over a couple of things. Um, that I want to go back to, because it's not there. I mean, I, I just want to hear your experiences. Because you said you're living in Holland, uh-huh. you're living in 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 um in Spain, and you're living in North Africa, right? In 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 Tunisia, right? right. You, you, that's where you were yeah. So, so tell me about the experiences there. Uh,
1: well, I was a broadcaster. Um, I knew very early. My father was a police. My mother was a nurse. I had big dreams of traveling the world and um, I just knew that my parents couldn't afford to send me all over the world and I couldn't afford to send myself all over the world neither. So I started looking for scholarships. And so I remember one summer just when I was, I think, I, yeah, I was at JBC at the time and I started just looking for scholarships and I called all the embassies. I mean, you kind of enough from a long time. Yeah, I well, guess what? I embrace my enoughness. I don't shame about it. I embrace it. I'm a, <laughs> a Snadro High School old girl, Snadro High School, we're enough. And we embrace that. We accept that, right? So nobody can not take it we and say, yeah, no, fee- yeah, yeah, we know. So it goes, right. So I remember picking up the phone and just calling all the embassies and all the high commissions. Do you have any short scholarships? Do you have any short fellowships? Do That's all I did. And I remember the Korean embassy said, oh, we have a short scholarship um, to Korea. You know, um, sure, apply for it. So I went and I applied for it. I got the scholarship because I, I write well, in fact, for years people come to me with them writing scholarship applications and those things because you know, we have the gift of writing. <laughs> so I applied for this scholarship to go to South Korea. I went to South Korea. It was myself and there was a young man from JIS called Carl Ford. He was an editor. So it was a course in broadcast. Was this broadcast engineering? Broadcast engineering was Japan. No, this was television production in South Korea. So we went and you know, it was a, you know, 30 people from 28 different countries. And, you know, I was probably one of uh, four women. I think, yeah, yeah, four or five women, you know. But you had all these people from all these different countries. For example, their only concept of Jamaica was Bob Marley. They didn't know that we speak English. There's there's some persons who thought that we lived in trees and that kind of thing. But, you know, it was an amazing experience. At this time now, I was turning 21. So, in fact, I celebrated my 21st birthday in South Korea and they had this big party for me and you know people were like but you're only 21 we thought that television producers were like old people I mean I was I was the baby of the group you know, right. I remember, for example, you know, reggae, everybody's, everybody knows reggae. So I remember going to a, we went to a reggae club one night and I grabbed the microphone and I started to perform and, you know, totally loved that experience, totally loved that experience, you know. So we were in South Korea, we went to the, the demilitarized zone between South Korea and North Korea, you know, so when people talk about the DMC, yes, I've been there, I was 21 at the time, you know. And so my lust for traveling and, and being in other spaces, you know, that was hot at that point. So I came back to Jamaica and then I started applying for other scholarships and fellowships and things. And so I applied for one and then I went off to Japan to do broadcast engineering, you know, editing with broadcast engineering. I am the world's greatest techno-dunce. When it comes to, <laughs> when it come to, to uh, what my friend did call me, my friend Mark Nelson called me or techno-peasant. He says, you're a techno-peasant. I don't know how to do nothing, 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 technical, trust me. I mean, but there's a course in broadcast engineering. But the thing is we wanted to go to Japan. How am I going to do this thing now? So I decided I'm going to fill up the application form them same way. So I'm not going to tell any lie that I'm an engineer because I'm not an engineer. So I wrote, but you see, I'll tell you I'm a good writer. So what I did was I wrote and I said, look, I'm not an engineer. I'm a television producer. But I think it's critically important for, the, for my side to understand the technical aspects of television and for the technical side to understand my side of television and so the two sides can work together. Well, you see, after I write that fabulous essay, the people them had was to choose me. Them had was to choose me. So I <laughs> go after Japan. So when I go after Japan, me was the one woman in the course because remember, engineers for the most part at that time were men. Most of them were much older, you know, director of engineering at um, Radio Tanzania and director of engineering at Radio Kenya. And is them kind of people, I mean, the one little woman in the class. But I'm the woman who has the strongest skills in English. So that is what put me on par because the lecturers were Japanese who learned English as a second language. A lot of these persons knew their native languages and they learned English as a second language. So half the time is pure confusion. And and I ended up having to explain stuff in English. So because I could read the manuals and I could read the books and I could, that is what kept me abreast of the class. So because of that, I know the guys always want to help me with the homework because I could help them with their English and things. So I learned a lot. I mean, trust me I learned so much in that program learned so much in that program and then after that you know I came and as I tell you I just wanted to I couldn't afford the traveling but here was my opportunity so I applied I, I did I went to the US I went to Benin I went to all these places so when I applied for the one to go to Holland now that was radio nederland went to and at that point I said you know, I think I want to leave Jamaica for a couple of years. I want to leave Jamaica for a couple of years. So I sold my car and everything. I said, okay, I'm going to Rajon Adelan. When that course is finished, I'm going to try to get a job in Europe. And so I did. Or when well, I attempted to. <coughs> so I did the course. Uh, there was a journalist, a Jamaican journalist called Fitzroy Nation. He's, he's now dead. He was at the Interpress Service, IPS, in Holland, so I knew him. So, you know, I went to broadcasting school in Holland, and uh, you know, it was really, really very good. Met one of the greatest loves of my life while I lived, in, while I was in Holland. So, when my course finished, you know, your mother sent you, you know, the Jamaican folks song sending send Nikki Ghana school Nikki Ghana man yard. Okay, yes. <laughs> 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 so send me Ghana broadcasting school. Uh, uh, Holland man yard. Anyway, no. So my course finished, and I decided. I didn't want to come back to gym. Well, I knew before that I didn't want to. I wasn't bonded. That was a good thing. I was not bonded. So I wanted to stay on. I wanted to get a job in Europe, et cetera. I remember I applied, you know, I started applying for jobs all over the place. Um, The BBC shortlisted me. So um, Crosskill, Hugh Crosskill, was working with the BBC at the time. And he called me, even before the BBC called me to say that they they had shortlisted me. Hugh Cross called me one away. I'm in Holland. He's in the UK. He said, John, they're shortlisted. I'm shortlisted. you. I mean, just listen for a call for them from them gunting because they will fly you over for the interview and think, oh, I'm over the moon, I'm obsessed. I'm excited, and bam, recession happened. And then the BBC started cutting staff and da-da-da. I was I was distressed because suddenly here was my opportunity, and it went right out the door. So here am I in Holland. I'm applying for jobs all over the place, and it's just not happening. And so after a year in Holland, I said to myself, "You know, this is not gonna happen. I'm gonna just pack up my things and go back to Jamaica." So I started writing to my friends because we don't have cell phone and them things at the time. So I was writing to my friends and telling them that I was coming back home to Jamaica. I felt despondent. I felt disappointed. I felt not embarrassed you know we kind of feel away because we never planned to come back and. Like, I think I had booked my ticket already. Yes, I had booked my ticket already to come home. And I got a phone from i got a phone call from um, the same Fitzroy Nation. He said to me, John, look here now. Um what do you know about international cooperation? Mr. Nutton. Him said, what do you know about north-south dialogue? Mr. Notten. Him said you try and know something because a man is going to call you, a man named Chef Tony is going to call you because he has a mandate to set up an international network of NGOs. He's going to move first to Spain, but they have to, you know, for their, their trial year, but they eventually have to move to Tunisia. Um, he's going to call you because he called me and said, I'm looking for an editor, writer, editor, you know, a publication specialist, et cetera. And we give you name. So try to read about North South cooperation. Try go. I All right. <sighs> the man called me and said, Oh, hey, you Andrea. I said, Yes. He says, Okay, meet me in uh, Rotterdam uh, tomorrow evening at six o'clock. That time I'm living with my, my Ghanaian boyfriend. And I'm mm-hmm. like, you know, John, I really don't. I, I'm tired. I just I'm just to pack up and go back to Jamaica. I'm feeling so depressed and thing. And can't he says, No, Andrea, you need to go. I'm like, I, can't me. I just I'm to feel He says, Andrea, I'll just give you the last shot. Go. So he took me to the train station, put me on the train, and I jumped on the train. We were living in Hilversum, which is a broadcasting capital. So got on the train, took a couple of hours, went down to Rotterdam to meet um, this man, Chef Townies. So, of course, me, Jamaican, in foreign, you have to have on your green, black, and gold. So I had on I like, a little green, black, and gold, I like, a little hat. It was not a tam, I like, a little hat. And I had on these, what do call these MC Hammer pants. Remember MC Hammer? You, oh yes right. yeah, i used because i used to sew those things i used to make them so i don't know okay. i'm a pants and a black top and you know looking like a little rebel green black and gold and it looked like a rebel so i walked into this place and this man it's uh, when i walked him i said are you chef tony's and he said yes you see the man didn't boggled like he's looking at me like what and it's you know because this is not what he's expecting because Fitzroy Nation has told him that this woman is an editor and she's a publication specialist and she blah, 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 blah. He's, the man, trust me, the man looked me, if, if I ever encountered racism, that is where it was. The man looked me up, he looked me down, as if, huh? Because, you know, you're coming from this little barefoot, Brock Park, ganja Island, as far as they are concerned. You know, because look, in my time in Holland, you know, first week in Holland, people were coming to me and asking me, hey, can we get into the drug trade with you? Because you come from Jamaica, you must know where the good Ganja grow. When I tell them, I, you know where I saw Ganja for the first time? In Holland. Yes. So when I tell them that I've never seen Ganja, that's not possible because you're from Jamaica. Doesn't it just grow all over the sidewalks? Doesn't everybody have like pots of it in their backyard? And doesn't it? No, no, no. Right. In fact, there's a big joke because the first time I went into a coffee shop when I was at broadcasting school in Holland went and did my little documentary, radio documentary, and I wanted to do at the look at the drug the um drug policy in Holland because coming from, from Jamaica, I was fascinated. Listen, man, you say we're going at two, three coffee shop, make a microphone, interview people, you know, why do you smoke and blah blah blah. We're going to one place, one guy said to me, Um, one of the guys one of the servers, he says, You want to see the marijuana menu? Say menu. Me, 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 menu. So he pulled out a book that had like all these little sample packets with different types of marks. I mean, I'm like totally confused. We just pint because I had to purchase some because this was part of my assignment. The teachers gave me money to do. We just pint about something and I tell him that one. Right? Yeah. But I remember being in the coffee shops and by the third coffee shop, my head was swirling. And it's a big joke with my Dutch friends because they said, Joan, you sat on the sidewalk for the next hour and a half and you just laughed. <laughs> it was funny. The canal, the canal right near. You remember this this movie with this um car that had a smiley face long, long, long time ago, right? Um, the, the canal just had this little smiley face. The water, water just running in the canal. all these smiley faces. The police car passing, it had a smiley face. Everybody just passing is like everybody smiling. <laughs> and i was sitting on the sidewalk and i was just laughing, laughing, laughing. Okay. So I've never smoked, but I know that is what would happen to me if I smoke. So um, back to meeting this man in, in, in Rotterdam. So, yes. you know, he said to me, you know, we, we I'd like to invite you over. We're, we're in Spain. We're going to be in Spain for a year to year and a half, you know, while we set up to move off to Tunisia. Um, I'm going to fly you over to Spain for two weeks um, to see whether or not it's a job you can do. But meanwhile, he was a little skeptical, right? Anyway, mm. he fly me over to Spain. By the second day, he signed my contract. I had a job, <laughs> but I already had my ticket to Jamaica, so I came back to Holland. and I went, came home to Jamaica, just on a little vacation, you know, because I already had my ticket. And then they flew me back to Spain. So that's how I ended up being in Spain. You know, in okay. international organization. Nelson Mandela was actually our um our honorary president. So I did ah, okay. point. We had like about 40 member countries. So our mandate was to organize lots of conferences and workshops and do lots of publications on on gender issues, on environmental issues, on human rights issues. So, you know, I was living out of a suitcase for the next two years. You know, you'd be flying to Malaysia this week for a gender conference and then you're going somewhere in Latin America next week for a human rights conference and then you're back to this. I mean, trust me, but it was an amazing time I met So many different persons from so many different countries. And you realize in the same way you have stereotypes about other people, they have stereotypes about you too.
0: And I remember
1: being in an environment where um, by virtue of being black, they didn't believe that I could speak good English, you know? And so I had somebody who whenever he had an issue with English, he would turn to the little Scottish girl in the office. Hey, Susan, uh, how do you say in English so-and-so? And Susan would turn to me and say, Grandma Queen, how do you say in English? And of course, it used to morning, you see, you never like <laughs> You still mock him, right? You know, yeah. so I suppose that's the, that's the extent of racism that I've actually encountered, you know. But what it does is it makes you realize that, you know, we're a lot more similar than we are different. We are, Definitely. you need all these people from all over the world, but we really are very similar. Our cultures may be a little different, but at the end of the day, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we all have the same needs, you know. We mm. all have the same needs. So I wrote all that material while I was overseas to kind of just keep in touch with Jamaica. I come back home, I do these performances out at the old jail out in Port Royal, and then I remember they had a launch, Calabash launch. You know, I kept on every time I perform, I say, oh, this is from my upcoming book. This is from my upcoming book. This is from my upcoming book. I remember Faye Ellings and said to me, stop talking about upcoming book and write the book. Huh? <laughs> I went to a Calabash launch once at um, Red Bones. It would have been about September. And uh, I saw Carolyn Cooper. And I said to her, you know, so I performed. And was said, Carolyn... I mean, I have book. Everybody have book, and you know, me, I write, 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 I mean, it's just it's like, what is stopping you? What is stopping you? This was September. I launched my first book because I'd done my CDs before. I my first book was done in time for Christmas, so it came out like I think that like the first week of December, it dropped because I had the material already. It was right. a matter of doing the book. So I had um what's his name? Um, not not last name, the 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 um cartoon. No, Andrew. Whatever he did, mm. he did um, I forget his name. Um, one of the famous um cartoonists for the Gleaner, um, Clovis. Yes,
0: Clovis. Right, his, right, right.
1: Yes, had Clovis do the illustrations for my first book. So that book, that book was called "Let Me You." know. Um, okay. Yeah, and it's just a, a compilation of poems and dramatic monologues about Jamaica and Jamaicans. Hey, Jamaicans, fascinating, bad, you know, bad, mm-hmm. bad 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 yep so that's the writing journey and since then i have three books um my second book was called inner my heart which is a mm-hmm. book of love poetry again no, because you see i think that there are a lot of people who feel that the jamaican language can only be used to show rough and and, and crude concepts and i said no we've got to show that the language itself is beautiful and the language can, can be used for other things too, right? Not just the rough and the croff and cuss off people and things. So my second book is called um, In My Heart. i just do a very short poem. It's called Hayomuwa Fidemi. Yes. Because, you see, again, as I tell you, everything I do, there's a lot of teaching. We think I think I was born to teach. I think I was born to teach. You know? You know, as a woman, you put on a little weight, you probably think your partner doesn't like you anymore. A man, you lose a little hair, you get a little big belly, you think your partner do not like you. And usually we are the ones with the issues, our partners don't have no problem. So the poem say, Look, even if you put on 50 pounds, even if you're sick and mother even if you bleach the black for fever brown, are you no one for David? Even if your foot shaped like Afu Yam and your hand look like of the Banana Man, even if you claim Rasta but quietly lick the ham, are you no one for David? So even though you're behaving like a clown and I see you them called all over town, and you no want to be around, I just you the no one for David. That's the kind of material that's in that book. And here you know what is funny about that book. I realized that a lot of people we don't know how to, especially on a man, because society tells me say man nothing have it and those things. Yeah. So what I did was the book, right? It runs it runs a gamut of emotions from when you meet somebody and you're excited, you know. So there are poems that say, you know, what you're afraid. Well, you're so afraid of you're afraid to fall in love. Then be if you know, walk away, we're gonna go away as It push on to shove. Love of teeth and teeth can bite. So even while I love doing, but we kept the bad balance out the good, that's better than not doing. Cause if you're afraid of love, you will never live. You're gonna just exist from year to year. Make like a plunge into this thing, no, and forget your fear. So it runs through the gamut from when you just meet and you're excited to when you're in a relationship. You talk about, you know, you're the person I want to be with, then to when the relationship start go bad, you know, to when the relationship mash up. So I put, I made the book with a, a bookmarker. And I said, if you don't know how to say what you want to say it to somebody, you see somebody and you like them and you go on give them a talk, you, you get the book you take the bookmarker, you put it at the particular page with that particular point and you deliver it. Listen to me, the number of people I have had who have come to me, I remember a doctor called me one night and he said, Joe, me just want to tell you something. My, my wife, we we're having, were having problems, you know, I'm going to just find the poem and you go on for David day with him. When she lied on we the bed. When her night, we just read the poem to her. I'm just want to know it's a thing sweet with me and my wife again. You know, a lady said there's a guy, she's see a long time and she liked him and, you know, but she never knew how to talk with him, kind of, you know, and, he, and she'd find the point that say, like, make could give this thing a try, right? And so that is what that book did. And then my last book is, the, my, I think, my favorite of my three books. <sighs> that book is called Kinti One, And that one for me celebrates what I call the creativity of Jamaican poor people. Because when you're rich enough, you're creative, right? Because you have money to buy things. When you're poor, you have to be creative. You see, a lot of people grew up poor in many countries, not just Jamaica. They didn't know they were poor until they grew up and they look back at their life and say, Hold on, but we never have running water. Hold on. We never had, oh, I want you to have, oh, oh, we did poor. Oh. But Jamaican parents are so creative that you grew up not knowing that you were poor. Because of the level of creativity. So I wanted to use that book to celebrate the creativity of Jamaican poor people. And so, you know, it talks about the things we used to do when you used to, your parents used to grate, not great, you know, you know, great coconut, you're tar, right? So when your parents used to grate uh, the coconut, you use the coconut milk to make rice and peas, and then you use the coconut trash. Now you make, um, do you um, not drops, grater cake and stuff like that. You know, when when, when your when you, you, you clothes tear and then you used to patch it or when your collar on your shirt start to, you know, the back of your collar start to tear up and then they, they, you know how to do that? You tear off the collar, spin it round and stitch it down again. They, you know, so I use that. Celebrate the creativity of Jamaican poor people. When you, you have the chicken, you don't have no oil for fry the chicken. You cut off the chicken skin or the chicken fat and you fry that up. You get oil to fry the very same chicken when you look at the creativity you know it wasn't until i became an adult that i knew that you could use um fresh bread to make bread pudding because all our lives we saw our parents leave back the little steel part of the bread back and thing uh, sometimes we have our some greeny greeny and brownie brownie flowers they right? <laughs> would just cut it off but when your mother you know soak that in a little milk and put in the cinnamon and the thing and it's like a sugar and butter and it, by the time you've done it, you, have, you have this fabulous-tasting bread pudding. But we didn't know. We didn't know because our parents were just so creative. So that last book celebrates the creativity of Jamaican poor people. When children now talk about snacks, snacks was things like condensed milk and bread. That was mm-hmm. snack. Red herring. And you know, if you say red herring, Michael, you know that you're totally off because it's not <laughs> herring. It's one feel, word, red herring.
0: I feel I feel very attacked. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. Why, why are you coming for me? Why are coming
1: for me with these things? It's one with red air Red, airing. <laughs> red You know, when children used to put milk powder in their hand and lick it, that was a snack. You know, so when when you when you your shoes used to get tight and then cut out the toe, I think it was mostly girls that happened to. You cut out the toe, right? And so if the shoes get even tighter, you know, you cut out the back. So you walk out the street and make you 2 and you, you, you heel back, pay shoes, <laughs> you, you know, right? The things, I mean, even like bush medicine, when picnic used to have mumps and they used to tie up a thing here mumps' cloth. you know mumps' cloth? No. Oh, my God, I need to send you the book, right? Because what they used to do is, you know, when you have mumps, your cheeks get swollen, right? Your lymph nodes underneath your neck, right? They get swollen and your cheek, right? So they used yes. to do, have a thing called mumps' cloth. So it's like you take a nap there, you take a piece of cloth, you tie it from under the chin. So you tie, the two ends are on top of your head. So you look like a little bunny rabbit because it's like you have these two little A's.
0: Okay, and, okay. Yeah. In
1: order to make the swelling go down, they used to put ashes inside the mumps clot. Yeah, man, anybody older than you would tell you that, used to put ashes inside of the mumps clot. You know, simple things like when you have like a blacky-blacky pot, you never had scotch right in those things. So you use the same coconut husk and you use dirt, you use ashes, you use sand to cover your pots because oh. it's are abrasive. You know, I mean, when little girls never had fancy dollies and things, things like a coconut, you take a, you know, a coconut, the coconut husk, you drain out the water with the coconut, you tell your father when him cutting the coconut leave, the, 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 the hair on the coconut. And the right. girls put ribbon in at that sometime, that was them dolly. Wow. Take a cactus, the flat tuna cactus plant, and you cut yes. out your shape that like is like a dolly. Or you take some you take an irritated water bottle. You know irritated water, Michael?
0: Yes, man. S- soda. Soda.
1: Pop. Tight, irritated <laughs> water. It's a big thing, you know, when you get irritated water. And so you take yeah. some long blades of grass and you stuff it in the top of the bottle for the bottle neck is narrow. You stuff it in the in the bottle of the bottle neck, the mouth of the bottle. And then the the, the grass hangs over the side. That is your dolly with tall hair. With t- <laughs> That's your <tall laughs> hair dolly. Yes.
0: Nice. You
1: know, so, but, people so the half a book, half a, half an exercise book after the days of slate and slate pencil, when exercise book became a new thing. People carried a half an exercise book to school. Your parents cut the exercise book in half. I remember old lady tell me that her mother said, look here, we don't have no money, you no know, so you press too hard on the pencil, because when you reach the end of the book, you're going to have to rub it out and start again. Wow. The picnic care, half a book and half a pencil. Well, you never have sharpener, Michael, to sharpen your pencil. Do you know how to sharpen pencil without a sharpener?
0: With The knife.
1: Oh, Jesus, I tell you, see. Oi. no, no, no. And you do, which child has a knife at school? You don't have a knife <laughs> What you no. do, you take the pencil and you bite it, you bite off the wood on one side and you turn it and you bite again and you turn and you bite. So what you do is you're removing the wet the, the, the wood so you yes. the point and then, then the point is going to be blunt now you want it sharp. So you rub it against a wall you turn it and you rub it against the wall and you rub it down. That's how you sharpen pencil, man. You don't have no sharpener. So these are the creative things that our Jamaican people used to do, you know. So as I said, the book is called Kinti Kiba Heartborn and there's a CD version of the book, and that is just celebrating. When you go out and you never have, you, you travel. My mother did this. You travel overseas. You don't want to carry your rollers, your setters as a woman. You just go. When you reach, you get a piece of newspaper. You fold the newspaper into tiny pieces, and you set your hair. Okay. You set your hair newspaper. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, so
0: where, where where can where can people find the, the books and the CDs though? So?
1: All right. Well, unfortunately most of the books are out of print. I really need to do a reprint. Um the CDs are in places like I think Craft Cottage is the only place right now that has CDs. And if push come to shop, you can always link me up on Facebook, hook me up on Facebook. Okay. You know, I can get stuff. I- you I
0: never be- thought of putting those things up digitally like on Cindy I am, Baby?
1: Michael, I'm a little behind with the technology. I am just at the point of getting that organized now. We're
0: we'll going to talk afterwards. We're going talk afterwards. We'll yep. talk all about these things afterwards. Just this about- is exciting.
1: Yeah, because, you know, people, I tell you, a lot of people across the world use the work when they are doing research on Jamaican culture. i get phone calls from Australia, from this country, from that. I'm coming to Jamaica, I'm a PhD candidate, I'm re- researching Jamaican culture. And I'm always being interviewed, you know, I've been interviewed by BBC, interviewed by Channel 4, I've, you know, I've written a lot, for example, I wrote about Usain Bolt, I wrote about Merlin Otty, I wrote about the Reggae Boys, I wrote about the Bobsled team. And so, for example, when when um the Reggae Boys um, were going to France, World Cup. That was nineteen ninety eight. Was it
0: ninety
1: eight? Yeah. 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 Um, I wrote a piece, and and I wrote a piece in Jamaican language, and I also did a kind of dub poetry piece for it, where I combined French. It was called Les Raggae Boys, and I come Felicito les <laughs> de jamaica and I, I I did that, and I actually won a Jammy Award for it that year for dub poetry in French. And when they went to France. Renee Simmons told me, I mean, they took the CD with them and they were playing it to kind of motivate the team and that kind of thing. So yeah, um, you know, when when the BBC Channel 4 came to interview Jamaicans about the celebrations in association with the regular boys and thing, you know, I Jampro called me and said, Can you know, take the Channel 4 team around? So I was like, taking them all over the country, interviewing people, etc. And you know, they interviewed me as well. So yeah, maybe like, one or two
0: little things, you know. Sure. <laughs> one and two little things, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, um, boy, you've done a lot actually, and and there's more to be done. But yeah, we're going to talk about those things afterwards. Yeah. Um, be, be, before we wrap up, I have, I have a couple more, a couple more um, you know, proverbs. Let me see. Will in picnic enough. Oh
1: yes! Oh yes! sometimes you have to just hold back. Anytime you, there's another, there's an English proverb I'm trying to remember that has the same meaning. It's slipping me though, it's slipping me though. But, you know, um, as I say, you know, the proverbs have so many levels of meaning, right? I don't know if you know, teeth never love to city. teeth, or I spoke about that one before. Teeth never love to city. teeth carry long bag.
0: No, you never, you never mentioned oh, that one before. so
1: never yeah. love teeth carry long bag. So you've been, I've been, I've been doing something wrong all along. I've been teething out the company money all along, or teething out the company resources and carrying to my yard and ting ting ting. And all of a sudden, me notice say somebody else doing. Me run back and tell boss, you know. I notice Michael Bag look very big when he's leaving in the evening. You no, know, me was doing the whole thing all along, you know. Right? Thief never love teeth carry long bag. It is yes. true. Teach never love a city, You know, um, and I, you know when we talk about example, crooked stick, crooked shadow. You never see kicking cow without kicking calf. You know these are the kinds of problems that teach you that you have to set the right example, right? There's one also that says you've got to control your children. If you're not Thai bad dog, you go get it and yam. You'll see one supper. If you don't mm. hide the bad dog, you know, get to and yam your same one supper. So we have to ensure, you know, But the, you, do you know what a cring cring is?
0: No, but I've heard the name. I don't know what it is.
1: Yeah, Michael would say it's a crank, A crank. Cring A cring was an old wire basket, right? So in the days before, them had frigentine. They used to have this wire basket called a crink So it's over the fireside, you know, the outdoor fireside or in the outdoor kitchen. And it's the heat and the smoke that would go up and cure the meat. I remember, there's no fridge, no stove. Right, so, right. Up in the ceiling with the meat up. So you walk in there and you look up at the crink, and you see the nice piece of pork and goat and, ooh, your mouth salivating, Lord. I want that piece of pork. But your yai, as in your eye, is not enough to look up your unwanted. So really, the proverb says, Yay yeah, can't take meat out of cring cring, which means if you want something, you have to work. You can't just say, why? I want to go to university. You never try. Why? I love to lose some will? You never try. Why? I want to learn to play the guitar. You never try. No, you have to do something. You can't just wish for it to happen. Wishing is nothing up. So the proverb says, Yay yeah, can't take meat out of cring cring.
0: Yes, yes, yes. All right, this one, cling cling. This one, I've always wondered who Jack Mandora is because Jack Mandora may not choose none.
1: I was like, what? Well, Jack Mandora was said to be the keeper of the gates of heaven. was supposed to be the keep of the gates of heaven so when you get there on that appointed day when you're dead and you reach the appointed day and they ask michael you are here what kind of life have you lived what have you done and you can look at your school your bad things you good did right it was basically saying you know you have taken no part no side in anything you have chosen nothing you have you know i mean i'm here tabula rasa i'm here clean nothing Jack Mandora, me not choose none. You have not been involved in nothing, yeah. So, as I said, that uh, Mandora was supposed to be the keeper of the gates of heaven. So this is your decor. Him, wow. you know, choose none. You never know, do not yet. Innocent me abigail.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that's great. because that, I mean, I've always wondered, and I know a whole people wonder
1: one. you know i tell you I, I i boy i'm so privileged to have had the moments that i had with miss lou because there are a lot of things that she explained to me that you know i really hold dear so things like that
0: excellent excellent this is wonderful you know i I've, I've been doing these 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 podcast episodes and i mean some of it is to is to share the stories of of people who i just think their their stories need to be shared and some of it is also to have on record some of these cultural things and some of them exist in in different places but it's a different way you know because i know that there's some friends of mine who have moved to other parts of the world and they're you know they have children and they want to share the culture somehow with their children and and sometimes this is what they grab for yeah And, and 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 i really appreciate your your agreeing to come on this and to share, and you shared so much, and I really, really love that. Yeah, I, I really do appreciate very happy. it. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I'm really, very happy about the work in the diaspora that I have done. You know, I, for example, I've taken part in, like, in the, um, conferences in the UK, Valuing Caribbean Languages, where I go along with Professor Devinish, I received a language ambassadorship, language ambassador award from the City College of Birmingham for my work in the UK, you know, just, just work in the diaspora. And I really love that when people in the diaspora come up to me as a boy, after Yeshua, I was able to explain this to my child, etc. It's the edutainment, it's the education yeah. wrapped up with the entertainment. It is very important for us to keep on doing that work. Yeah,
0: yeah. Thank you so much. Oh, well until next time But don't hang up don't go nowhere because we won't talk <laughs> <laughs> until next time thank you Art. thanks again for joining me on this episode of Mike's Moment of. I'm super grateful to Joan for being my guest right so remember if you like the episode or you like any of the episodes share it this week with at least one friend that would be a big favor to me I really appreciate that and as usual If you haven't already, subscribe, like, comment, rate, share. Okay? And, um, you know, all the links are in the show notes. And if you want to support in another way um, through uh, buymeacoffee.com, you can. The link is in the notes. All right? All right. Until next time, take care.